Welcome into Hoops Forum, a production of Radius Athletics and a quick timeout podcast. I'm Tony Miller, and joining me once again this week is my co-host, Randy Sherman. Big thanks to our sponsors over at 323 Sports. Summer is on its way, which means it's time to start thinking about summer sports camps. Your campers will love the 323 Sports Performance Camp shirt, which starts at an incredibly low price of just $7.99. To find out more, visit 323sports.com. Or you can contact a sales rep at sales at 323sports.com. They'll be sure to do it right for your summer camp program. We wrapped up the college basketball season this past weekend. Congratulations to the LSU Tigers as well as the Connecticut Huskies. That was the Tigers, Lady Tigers' first national championship and the Huskies' fifth national championship. First, Randy, general yeah. observations from the weekend that was. Um, I'd say that you know, kind of the, the men's final four with a couple of, of, uh, I guess you could call them mid-majors, FAU and, and San Diego State was an interesting, uh, made for an interesting weekend. Um, those, those teams uh, were old, experienced, uh, well-coached teams, so they definitely deserve their spot there. There's no, there's no, you know, no fluke to what they did, so uh, and then UConn sort of like asking us all the question of where that program belongs in the uh, the way we think of college basketball, blue bloods and and such. So um, that that's uh, my observation was I, I won both of the brackets I participated in because I picked UConn and and uh, and I'm happy about that. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, I thought. UConn was just super impressive on the men's side. Just really weren't even challenged that much in the in the tournament throughout the, the, their play. I thought the women's was extraordinary. Both of the semifinal games between LSU and, and Virginia Tech were entertaining with LSU coming from behind there to win. And then Iowa and South Carolina, pretty much everyone had South Carolina as a foregone conclusion as the championship and Iowa – and led by, of course, Caitlin Clark, um, you know, pulled that upset, and then and then LSU capitalized on on the absence of South Carolina and, and took care of business against Iowa in a game I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit more because there was a, a lot of a lot of talk around that game, and and uh, and you know I, I found that maybe even more enjoyable to watch than the women's. I thought those games were electric, so um, you know. Great, great stuff. Great weekend. It never disappoints. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I enjoyed, for me personally, the women's games more than I did the men's games. It'll be interesting to see how the numbers come out that time of this recording. Don't necessarily have the the men's numbers yet, but just to compare the two and uh, going back to the men's, I think it will be interesting going forward. Everybody's noted the transfer portal, NIL, you know, how that will impact college basketball yeah. but just from a coaching perspective the ability of coaches to to put together and to build culture and systems in the six seven months that they have those players versus mm-hmm. you know the four year or over time and dan hurley did an incredible job of kind of melding the transfer and also a lot of those guys were his guys that he mm-hmm. had recruited and uh just the the ability to to put that together in the time that he had and the other teams as well i think saw a stat last night of san diego state just the the close games that they did win 
and maybe to the point of having the older players and the experience and being able to erase double double digit deficits and then also mm-hmm. win at the end maybe a game that you know in that San Diego State game I think that they had like one lead in the second half but trailed yeah. a couple times by double digits yeah and then hit the shot at the end so yeah just interesting trends I think across the board for for both sides men's and women's games and mm-hmm. interesting to see where that goes going forward uh talking tried to segment this a little bit so kind of defense offense and maybe some special topics at the very okay. end okay uh from a defensive perspective you saw on friday night iowa do some interesting things against south carolina and maybe south carolina's inability to respond to those but just kind of thoughts about how iowa decided to play south carolina in that game you know um i think that's what I would call scouting report man to man. They 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 decided that they were gonna take their chances with some some players uh, leaving them open and 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 not choosing not to guard them on the perimeter uh, and basically daring them to shoot and uh, it paid off. Uh, I felt like it sort of um, I don't know just sort of made made for an awkward feeling in the South Carolina offense. They couldn't get the ball inside. Now, um, I think the, the critical thing in that game was, was, was sort of the bet that, that Iowa, their coaching staff was making that you won't make enough threes. And we, we, the bet hinges upon our ability to get a defensive rebound. And that was a big challenge for, for the Iowa women versus a, 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 a tall athletic South Carolina uh, front line. So, uh, they got just enough rebounds to sort of be able to sustain that strategy. And then Caitlin Clark is uh, a player who whose offensive talent sort of, um, I don't know, just, just present a lot of challenges for the defense and, and allows them to, to score in bunches. Um, so, you know, I, I look at strategies like that as a bet. It's like, we're going into the game and this might work. It might not, or there's a percent chance that it would backfire and we've kind of got to get okay with that. And um, I thought in the second half, one of the players that um, Iowa chose to left unguarded finally started making some shots. And, and I thought that might kind of swing back some things to South Carolina's favor, Uh, but they stayed the course with it and, and, uh, and won the game. So I just, I, I read some things about how it's disrespectful or or it's not uh, sporting or whatever to to do that. I I I probably disagree with that. I'd say, um, you know, the the uh, the Iowa coaching staff felt like they found an Achilles heel in a, in an undefeated team that that could could possibly do them, and and they exploited it. Yeah, I think a great just example of scouting, and then the modern game and the emphasis on the analytics, that's nothing more than applied statistics when it comes to actually implementing that. And I think you alluded to this, but you can give up that, but South Carolina still attempted to throw the ball inside. And I think credit to Iowa for over the course of the game, there was a swarming nature to the defense on every single catch. It wasn't always effective. They had fouls that they gave up but still you're sticking to that game plan. And in the end you see it pay off. Yeah. So um, talk about maybe the physical style versus the officiating a lot to be said 
I know a lot of comments on Twitter about the officiating. Yeah. I had a comment with a final four coach just a couple of weeks ago, women's coach. And she made the point, you get to the NCAA tournament and it's so much more physical, mm-hmm. the ability to score against that type of defense. And I saw it not just in the women's game, but also in the men's game. That's kind of something that you should expect. Yeah. But maybe, and you've talked several times on this show about, almost using as the officiating as an excuse and it, it can't be that. Well, I thought, I thought in the, you know, the, the, a lot of the officiating controversy came from the women's championship game and how, how, how it was officiated as I was watching, I just sort of felt like it, 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 it wasn't consistent in that, in that it's sort of almost felt to me like the officials were like called it tight since that there was like some frustration about foul, you know, players leaving the game with early fouls and then sort of like backed off and then, and then kind of came back to calling it tight again. And, and um, that I could see how that created frustration among the players and the coach, as far as the physical style, I, I personally don't have much of an issue with that. I would say what I used to ask of officials when I coached was just at the very least protect the shooting, you know, protect, protect the shot. Uh, a player, you know, is, if they're fouled in the act of shooting, like let's call that. And if it means someone gets their third, fourth foul, so be it. But like, if you're going to be um, lenient with the officiating uh, off the ball, bumping cutters, you know, a little bit of arm barring and hand checking and things like that, and letting that go. I, I got no problem with that. That's why we got a weight room. Like that's, that's fine with me, but when we're when we're in the um, in the act of shooting, I think that's that's a, a critical um, area in which to like enforce the act, you know, the letter of the law. I don't and know if I, it... I thought there was that was hit or miss, and and it was frustrating, I'm sure too. But you know, with the way the way South Carolina sort of has the, 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 their, their women's team, you know, the big, the, the bigs inside, sometimes they play three that, 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 um, you know, it's just, it's going to be, it's going to be physical. It's going to be, uh, there's just a lot of bodies in a tight space and, and it's, it's going to be physical. And I thought Iowa, you know, just sort of got a stalemate in that category at best. And, and then, and then with Caitlin Clark's ability to, to score enough points, that was the difference, you know, I can't recall if this is one of your coaching superpowers, but the ability to adjust even within a game uh, mm-hmm. in regards to the officiating, because when you can get your players to, to change quickly to that, then you can take advantage of that. And, you know, that's, that's part of the gamesmanship that goes into the, to the game itself. You yeah. mentioned Caitlin Clark, and I, mm-hmm. I heard saw people talking about this as well. But strategies for guarding an elite score, and I would say, kind of an elite player, not just necessarily elite, but right. also unique in the fact that the amount of of offense that she was responsible for. I can't remember the number off the top of my yeah. head, but the it was something like sixty four to seventy percent. It's like sixty two percent of their points, and one of you know, yeah. So when you have somebody who has the ball in their hands that much, and it's not just the ability to score it, but also the ability to play make for other people strategies in regards to how to defend somebody like that. Well, first I'd say good luck. Um, you know, like there, the, any ideas I would give have, have been tried and failed and been tried and succeeded. So 
Um, again, it's sort of like making a bet. Here's, here's what we're going to do. Um, you know, I would venture to guess, venture to guess over the course of 30 something games that, uh, all of these have been <laughs> tried or implemented against Caitlin Clark, or if anyone who's listening, if you have an outstanding offensive player, you know, um, you, you've probably seen these ideas executed against you. Um, you know, I, I, I often felt like as a coach, you're sort of at a crossroads. Do we, do we go ahead and try to do something to slow this player's, you know, totals or, or, or reduce her, his or her totals? Or do we sort of just like take the deal of like, kind of like, just let them, you know, we're, we're going to play them as best as we can. Just let them have hers. And, and when you, when you have a, a player that's also a talented passer, like Caitlin Clark is like, you know, if, she goes nuclear and and scores 45, but they only score 56 because we don't overhelp. We don't overcommit resources to stopping her. Then maybe we can. So I think that's one sort of cross. The, the, the first question a coach should ask themselves is like, okay, are we going to like go in all in and game plan on her? Or are we going to kind of just like put our best defender on her and, 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 you know, not, you know, not let the others also go off. Um, by overhelping and over collapsing and, and double teaming and things like that, that, that you leave yourself open to that. So I think that's the first question to ask is where do you want to lie on that spectrum? I think some other things, of course, I'm sure there's always been, these have all been tried. You saw it happen. I thought they did a great job in full court pressure what they did a nice job when they were trying to get the ball in bounds and, and they wanted Caitlin Clark to have the ball free throw shooting situations and things like that. And they they would get the ball out on the perimeter to one of two players on the on the perimeter on the side, and then they're face guarding Caitlin, and then she would cut right up the middle, and they give and go right to her, and they and, and get her the ball. That was I thought that was pretty good strategy, but um, I mean things like denying the player the ball, that kind of going full denial. We call it zero, meaning you're zero coverage on this player, meaning you're full deny, and you've got minimal help responsibilities, and just trying to keep the ball out of their hands. Um, surely Caitlin Clark has seen that, you know, and like, it's not uncommon. Um, um, but kind of like taking away the option of that player helping off of which helping off of the star player, if you will, sort of leads to some things. The other coaching staff can exploit. Well, if, if they're not going to help off her, we can, you know, put her man, let lob over the top and they don't, they won't help on the backside or we can put it, you know, we can run screen rolls and make her the tag man, and they're not gonna, you know, they're not gonna touch her, you know, leave her. So we can exploit that. So it's a game of chess there. So um, I think my best advice would be to eliminate eliminate easy scoring opportunities. Like you're not getting a layup. We're not gonna foul you and put you on the free throw line. Um, you know, we only have so much control in that though. So keep from fouling them as best you can, just because like. You're making life tough on them and they get to the free throw line that sometimes can ignite a little bit of confidence. Um, a, a big thing that I tried to do when I coach is if we were facing an outstanding guard, it was like, let's get a charge off of them. Cause that's kind of like a, you know, you can kind of assume a player is going to get two to three fouls playing defense, right? Well, you get a charge off of them. Now that's almost like adding to that total and you might get them on the bench, which is the best way to guard them, right? Like you might get, which happened. She, she collected some fouls and, and and um, 
had to sit out some time. Uh, there's other things like junk defenses, double team. Um, another thing I think is often overlooked is making that player, that star player, work on the defensive end, like whoever they're guarding. A lot of coaches like try to hide their outstanding player and guard your least favored, you know, your your least capable guard or something like that. Let's let's go at them on defense and make them work on defense. Run her off screens. Run her off. Uh, you know, lay a body on her on screens or ball screens and off ball screens. So like making that outstanding player work on defense. Don't just, you know, I think that's might be overlooked also. The thing that made her elite was I the decision making and she possessed the ability to score it but like you said when you're attempting to mix ball screen coverages up or deny her the ball well ball screen coverages to your point they she's seen them all at this point mm -hmm. and being able to make to the right decision them. dissect mm -hmm. them read who's actually open that's what made her you elite yeah. um, denying her the ball in the half court sounds great but when she has the ability to not just read screens, but read defenders and use those screens, they did an incredible job of, incredible. you know, read rescreening coming off of staggers. There was yep. a combination of things that they did to get her open. It sounds like an easy fix. And maybe it is at your level. And, and then also, I think they did an incredible job surrounding her with the kinds of players, you know, when they went to middle ball screen. The easy thing is, well, you just tag with the backside. Well, she just threw it backwards to the mm -hmm. to the person who was helping. Or, well, we'll just do it with the person in the front. Well, there's another shooter that's sitting over there in the corner. They sounded like easy fixes, but I think that they they created a system that allowed her to really dominate uh, for herself, yeah. for herself, and then also for her teammates. So it was. And then also, what makes another all of what you said is exactly right the know-how the, the the reading defenders the second cutting the 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 re-screening the, the curling when she's trailed and the coming off you know she would go try to run a throw and go and she'd be trailed and then you know she would put on the brakes and come back and take it back on the other side you know from the same player that she did that twice and i was like there's no answer man like no answer like so but the real secret sauce if you will that makes her it's it's the same thing that makes steph curry is like you, you got to guard her also 30 something feet away from the basket she was 56 percent from from shot on the season from shots of 25 feet or more so that's just like increases the functional space your defense has to defend so much more so now there's more space to attack not to mention like she's super fast with the ball um yeah, so sometimes coaches, there's no answer. Mm -hmm. That's a that's a reality that a lot of coaches don't want to accept. <laughs> but like sometimes there's really no great answer. A quick timeout is presented by Huddle, the market leader in video-based analysis solutions for basketball teams around the world. Huddle continues to make advancements to their suites of performance analysis solutions. Tools you know like Sports Code are enhanced by their industry-leading tech like Huddle Focus, an AI-powered smart camera that's built to integrate into Sports Code right out of the box. It captures and uploads videos automatically from any gym. Head over to huddle.com slash a quick timeout to get a peek at all they're bringing to the hardwood for every level of the game this season. So we've started talking offense, so let's go ahead and transition to sure. it. I had a coach even ask me this morning, 
in regards to UConn, but mm -hmm. your take on the four teams that played and maybe the tournament as a whole. He said, how much percentage-wise do you think teams are running conceptual offense versus set plays? And I'll take it a step further for you. Um, concepts versus advanced concepts. And what I mean by that mm -hmm. is it's not just like ball screen or we stagger here, but it seemed like no matter where a player was on the floor, they didn't always have to, for instance, somebody coming off a stagger, the person coming off the stagger didn't have to always originate from the corner. Yeah. Or the popular zoom action wasn't always a down the hill towards the corner ball screen handoff. It seemed like things flowed a whole lot more this year than I have ever seen them before. Agree? Yeah. Um, I thought I thought tournament wide, I saw sort of like some more creative modern, you know, stuff, which. Um, that's good. I, I I think it's I think it's good. Now, you know, there was lots of talk about the shooting and how the the ball might be a factor or whatever. I, I don't know how much I buy into that, but like you know, that that as far as just what I'm seeing tactically on the courts, I thought was was good, a good thing. Not from everyone, but I guess if you wanted to talk specifically about the final four teams, I thought FAU very analytically minded offense um, I would probably call that mostly conceptual ball screen concepts and um, Miami they run some five out good NBA inspired type stuff probably the least evolved offense was San Diego State's it's kind of they're, they're more of a defensive team and that's that's a great like that's an identity and like what we really need to know is is the lesson is like what wins is something being outstanding at something and there was you know three outstanding offensive teams there one outstanding defensive team there and that can get you there as well um so um their their offense was better than i thought I, I, but it's still kind of like the kind of guys they have or are weight room guys and defensive guys. And like, they're just not going to necessarily, you know, be aesthetically pleasing on the offensive end more physical. Uh, but that's, that's them. And, and being unapologetically them is what got them there and they wouldn't get there any other way. So um, I, I liked that facet. Um, I thought UConn was the interesting team out of those. My impression, and again, we look, you know, 10 people look at a piece of art on the wall and kind of take away 10 different things. So this is just my impression, was they were very set play heavy. Like there, you can watch Danny Hurley, like doing hand signals and calling things during live balls. And uh, they, now I thought they did a good job sort of disguising those things. It was a little bit of false motion and kind of dummy offense before they kind of got to what they really wanted. And um, creative use of the high-low game to get the ball inside. Last night, I noticed a play or a, a, an action that I thought was tough as they would get the ball in the post and then ball screen for the guy in the post, and he would kind of dribble up and throw it back high-low to the guy who just screened, and they scored on that twice in the second half. Mm -hmm. Beautiful stuff. So, But though, to me, what I thought I saw was like most of those were set calls. So, Yeah, I, I'd say – you see a, everything you see a wide range with 68 teams and 68 coaches. And, um, but generally speaking, I think 
I, I've got a working theory I'll test on you is um, you're a college coach. So you, you would be able to answer this is like 2020 was good for college coach tactics mm-hmm. because I think a lot of college coaches are year round on the road. They're either playing or recruiting. They're not doing much like, Oh, I'm going to watch this podcast or I'm going to scroll on YouTube and see what these, you know, offensive breakdowns from the NBA are doing and like they just don't do that. So therefore they're just sort of maybe stuck with no time necessarily to up their offensive game, if you will. I think with all the things that 2020 forced us to do might've helped college coaches like, Oh, you know, this might be a time where I could don't have to be out recruiting. I don't have to be out doing everything that I, I'm going to kind of go to school on some offense. And I thought, I think that, I think that's, I don't know, just a barroom theory of mine. I don't know if it's accurate or not. But. Reset may be too strong of a word, although it was a reset for me personally. And I think for a lot of coaches, there was a, there was a change from, or there's always been a, let's add a couple more things. But because of the time that was available, there was a like, well, let's change this. Let's make big changes to this. And I think to your point, the being able to watch or study a little bit more international, all mm-hmm. the clinics that were going on as well, like there were there were big concepts that were changed. And as a result, I do think that you get more. San Di- I was thinking the exact same thing about San Diego State. I saw more of four guys standing around or three guys standing around while there was a two-man action going on, and I, we're just going to make a play for myself or for a teammate if help comes. Whereas you saw from Connecticut, I felt was the complete opposite. There were five guys moving, which made yeah, help. Lots of off-ball screening difficult. and cutting and staggers. And, yeah. A lot of those multiple actions that we've talked about, the staggers and back-to-back things that are hard, harder to guard. And then when you added in the ability of, especially a UConn, um, Iowa was, was like this. I felt like uh, LSU maybe more so, but it, it, it kind of felt like their three-point shooting stepped up a little bit. But those first two teams, like they had the balance of three-point shooters, not just catch-and-shoot guys, but like guys coming off of those double mm-hmm. actions. And then the inside presence that each of those teams possessed they were able to set up those things by those concepts and, and that sort of thing. And, and that leads me to the next thing I wanted to ask you about yeah. the, the post play in particular from Iowa, South Carolina, LSU, UConn with their bigs. That was a, that was a, a, a big part of their offense. Yes. Um, that's not something that we've been talking for the last two, two and a half years, like the big man's going away and it's more stretch stuff and, you know, maybe so, maybe not, but, I saw a concentrated uh, effort to establish post play. Absolutely. Uh, Your thoughts on that. And maybe even like how they went about generating, you mentioned this, even ball screening in the post, um, Mm -hmm. things like that. What did you see? I'll start with UConn. I thought, I thought Sonogo physical, strong. Obviously if we have that, we're going to use, we're going to weaponize it. And, I think the mistake I see a lot of, or I won't call it a mistake, or the thought, the 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 thought sometimes with a a, a coaching staff that has been blessed with a, a a good inside player, 
it's like sometimes, like if we have a good guard, we run stuff for them. We screen for them or we run a set play where they get a shot or something like that. But like when we have a good big, sometimes we think, well, just get yours, just post up and just want the ball. Like we don't do things. But I thought you kind of did a fabulous job of like, we've got a good post player and we're going to do things to get them the ball. You see them run, they call high-low sets. They were they were running that that. that action last night i mentioned him screening for the guy in the post and dumping it high low to the screener uh to me that that was uh, y'all are in trouble san diego <laughs> like like because um you know it's one thing just to have a dominant player and say you're going to get yours by just being big and strong and and posting up but instead of that yukon would cross screen and and do um would would um <clears throat> you know, back screen or, or, or high low, you know, set up high low action where, where the guy, the low post could have leverage and, and, and they could, you know, dump it in high low. And so I thought that would be the lesson I would hope if you have a good post player to take from UConn would be don't just, you know, do something for them to help them. Don't just say, well, you should be able to get yours or six eleven or whatever, right? Like do some stuff to help. Them. Um, you know, Iowa had a unique post player, the women's team, that with, with Shizano. Uh, you would see often see her post up, and, and she has great no dribble moves. Step, she would, I, I mean, I think I said red where she took one dribble in the tournament, like, yeah. and so her, her that's unorthodox in the post. So a lot of uh, a lot of uh, those no dribble moves sort of like come out of sequence to some post defenders. I thought that's what I saw there. Um, they used her in the ball screen game very well. Um, South Carolina, of course, with with Boston and uh, they 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 uh, they have enormous size. So a lot of times, but but you know, Iowa the way they defended were able to sag off people and and reduce space around the post. Just made life hard for them. But yeah, I think and, and LSU, uh, you know. A lot of times their best shot was the second shot of, of, of an Angel Reese rebound stick back. Um, so and same is true for South Carolina. So I thought I thought that. Yeah. I, I wouldn't want anyone to hear anything I've said about post play as as like anti. Like if you can give me a point per possession in the block on the low block or if we can run something for you and get give me a point for per possession or more we're doing it like we're doing it like that's that's it's rim and three and those are shots at the rim those high low and cross screens and back screens that we're getting looks into the in that's that's right in the in the heat map of where we want shots being taken by the players we want taking them um so uh, that's what i saw was just uh the ability to use size and strength from those teams the exception being South Carolina, which had a hard time um, adjusting to the fact that they just had perimeter players that they didn't have to guard. Three things that stuck out to me. The first was just not just the ability to screen and roll, but the screen and then being able to catch to your point without the dribble, which cuts yeah. down on the ability of help defense to be able to come over. Every time you dribble, it slows slows things down and adds seconds to things. And mm -hmm. to your point, there was not there wasn't that with Iowa. The second one was saw a little bit more South Carolina, Iowa as well, though, too, I believe, but screening the guard to big screen into the post so that you can either create a mismatch, which most teams were not, were not switching, but mm -hmm. 
but then just that extra second to be able to catch and helps or the defense hasn't gotten yeah. there yet. Um, there are plenty of those that are, I know, on fast model, drawn up fast draw. And then the third thing was, I think UConn did a fantastic job of using the duck in misdirection, getting Sonogo or one of their other bigs to duck inside and then score it. And a lot of those did come off of set plays. And I, I tried to draw up several of those. So I know San those Diego are State was good with the duck ins as well. Very and San Diego good. State did a ton of that. Uh, they did it off of inbounds plays. They did it off of. And that was a great way to establish like a deep post up, get it right at the front of the rim and utilize Mensa and Sonogo. So if you have somebody like that, uh, mm -hmm. I'll try to, I'll, I'll direct you to where you can find those, but I'm going to try to put together, I think a, a blog post or maybe even a video of that uh, just because I thought the teams this weekend did a great job of, of getting those deep paint touches, which you alluded to the points per possession. You're talking about like one, 1 1.2, 1.4, especially yeah. uh, at the high school level. And, and you put foul pressure on the other team to be, you have to play physical to stop someone from scoring down there and wall up and you end up collecting fouls and, you know, I thought where San Diego with the duck in, San Diego State with the duck in sort of met their match was the three or four bigs that UConn could rotate through and they had great rim protection. So it was just tougher to, you know, they weren't they weren't at a size and strength. It's a disadvantage against UConn. Yeah, for sure. All right, points per possession. And this is the one that everybody likes to debate. I saw even some new debates on it. That's the mid-range jump shot. Uh, okay. I did. I did this just for uh, just for fun. The those of you that are watching, the revitalization or reviving the mid-range. Uh, is it back, Randy? Um, <laughs> did it ever go anywhere? I mean, it's 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 um. Uh, no, it's not back. Um, and and I would say that. It, but it also didn't go anywhere. Uh, but uh, it, it's sort of like a, um, a, uh, it's an, it's a, it's a weapon. I'm not, I wouldn't dispute that. Uh, there, there'd be, there'd be uh, no debating that the strategy oftentimes from defense is to protect the rim and run a, run a three pointer off the line. And if you have a player or two who can, who can get, you know, get to their middle game, as I called it when I coached, get to their middle game and make, make baskets. That's then, then they have no answer for that third dimension. Right. So, um, what, what I would say, um, you know, the, 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 the prominent example of the game winner by San Diego state being a mid range pull up. Well, time scoring situation in that matter, like it doesn't matter what, like that's a micro moment, not a macro moment. Right. So that's a, one possession down, I think they were down one and or two, one down one. And um, like, it doesn't matter what kind of shot we take. We just need a made basket, right? So best shot available. Exactly. And, and, uh, and the player felt comfortable with it. You could tell that, you know, uh, and so what I, I think you see a little bit, and this is no in, indictment of, of, women's coaches or women. I was a, uh, I coached women's basketball. That, that is not an indictment of that group. What you see a little bit more of in women's basketball is say a player drives and they 
kick, you know, the defense collapsed and they kick and the player they kick to is standing inside the three point line. So you see a little bit more of like the assisted mid range shot for that, 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 if we're going to really get nuanced is all but gone in men's basketball. You see it and it's on its way out in women's basketball. Like you don't see Iowa doing that. You didn't see Virginia tech doing much of that. Um, so, um, that's a spacing thing. That's what we're teaching the other four players when we are the other three players when we're running a middle ball screen and create penetration. And we have a driver. What are we telling the other four players? And there's just things not being told to those players that speak to the analytics part of the game a little bit more often in women's basketball. Um, you know, you, you just don't like that would be like, whoa, that looked weird if you were watching, say, an NBA game and a player drove and kicked to a guy standing inside three feet inside the three point line and he shot it like that would just in night in 2023. That would look weird in 1988. It wouldn't. So, um, yeah, I think that's what. That's a design flaw, though, that's a design thing. I looked it up last night. And San Diego State shot more mid-range than they did paint shots this season and had a higher points per possession on the mid-range than they did inside. And UConn, too, shot quite a few mid-range. It, it was it was their fewest shot type out of the three, but still um, shot a good percentage of it and might be interesting at some point to go. Defense's you... emphasis to run people off the three-point line and that point of best available shot, you're not going to dribble into a crowded lane or a lane that has a seven footer standing in the middle of it that may be best available shot and then you know like like when i looked at san diego state and and they, they just have that they're not built around three-point shooting they're just not, they don't recruit to it they don't mm -hmm. they don't it's just not part of their program as much as it is some others or as some others would desire it to be so um you know, they're more of an outlier possible on the offensive side of the ball, possibly, you know, like that's, that's okay. Like that's, you, we can mentally say that like, this isn't a universal law, but like it's most of the time law. Right. So um, the, the um, also too, man, some guys are bucket getters, man. And like that, like you think of a DeMar DeRozan, a Kawhi Leonard, a Ke Kevin Durant, a Chris Paul, like, People that just get buck Devin Booker, like bucket getters, can get it from all three levels. And and you you got a guy that, like in in Hawkins on UConn, who can make catch and shoot threes. He can make threes coming off of a, of a mid range. And if you run him off the line, he, he take that one dribble pull up, and it looks sweet all the time. That's a bucket getter, man. And like that's one thing. That's one attribute of postseason or and we're about to see it in the playoff game the shot profiles in nba playoffs look different than they do in the in the regular season we go from macro spreadsheet 82 game basketball to like we got to win this game tonight possession by possession mm -hmm. or we're getting eliminated same thing in the tournament we got to win this game tonight or we're going home so um you've got to be able to sort of like see from 10,000 feet and from 10 feet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A lot of unique things, I think, maybe to the changes that are happening just in the game itself, but also specific to college basketball and 
we track a lot of the trends here and also on the things that we produce and that kind of transitions me to uh, more resources available because mm -hmm. I know now that we've seen this, it's sparked some ideas for both of us going forward. Where can people find some of those things and resources that are available that you're putting out? For me right now, I would beg of the patience of the, the coaches who follow me and get my, I, I, I'm in the process of sort of a, reorganization trying to deal with you know some some things i've done business-wise to, to to put content out there you know get that all streamlined and, and easier for coaches to consume so i'm in the process of sort of migrating everything to my own website so radiusathletics.com let's let's start driving people there because there's not much there now but i'm i'm behind the scenes loading that blog up with and loading my website up with uh content that I've written other places and moving it there. So you can find some of the greatest hits I've put out and, and also future content there. Mine's primarily on the newsletter, a quick timeout.substack.com. Okay. There's a free version of it and also a paid version. I try to get into the paid version. Some of the trends that we talked about putting a few more videos and breakdowns, diagrams, and I'm trying to follow Randy's lead. I'm going to create, hopefully, this uh, off season, some more videos and breakdowns that go along yeah. with some of the things that I'm trying to study. So be sure to check out both of those. We'll link those down in the show notes below. Thanks to all of you who joined us this week. If you missed any part of the live show, you can go back and watch or listen. Search Hoops Forum on YouTube to see the full interview, or you can go to any podcast platform and search a quick timeout, and there you'll find the audio version of the show. For Randy Sherman, I'm Tony Miller. We'll talk to you again next week on Hoops Forum.